Chapter 3 The banquet hall was dim, lit only by small lamps on the long table and a cockeyed stage light still illuminating the prince's cart. Funicello scowled as they entered, but continued to clear the discarded plates and goblets. The dwarf scraped the food into a large bowl, stacked the plates one by one, and made no effort to conceal the rude gulps he took from the half-finished wine goblets. The stage was only raised knee-height off the floor. Naraya led them to the cunning wooden steps on the left-hand edge of the stage. Rhyme noticed an identical set on the opposite side. The floor was dark burnished wood that seemed to drink in the spotlight, an amber circle of golden light. The mage's eyes moved immediately to center stage where the damsel had collapsed. Not a speck of blood remained. Jonas stared up at the stage lights, squinting into the one that was still lit. The silver buttons on his vest shone. At the back of the stage was a freestanding wall. From behind it spilled the quiet sound of sobbing and a little more light. The Lord's daughter led Rhyme around one side of the wall. Jonas trotted quickly to catch up. Behind the wall, four hammocks were strung, and three battered chests spilled over with tattered finery. Robes for kings, gowns for penniless match girls, cloaks for villains, and armor for heroes. Wooden swords sprouted from a pea-green barrel, gilt-flecking and thin. Crammed into the far end of this space was the wooden coffin that had revealed the murdered woman. It was from this that both the tears and the wobbling light originated. The three players stood around the coffin like a tableau. The sorcerer had removed his beard, revealing a sallow face dotted with moles. His skull-ringed robe hung off one shoulder, showing a doublet that was equally as spotted. The erstwhile wizard had one long hand on the shoulder of the weeping towerlock. Toby is his real name, and he called out hers, Darla. The man who was not Humphrey was fussing with a lantern shaped like a globe. He looked up in surprise at their approach. He smoothly hung it from a nearby hammock and stooped into a florid bow. Ah, ladies, please excuse our disrepair. You have come upon us in our grief, and our masks are all askew. His voice was deep and rang with quiet skill, a voice familiar with a thousand speeches and a thousand strange tales. No, it is we who must ask your forgiveness, Naraya said. Lady Rhyme suggested that we come and offer our condolences. Most kind, most proper, the player bowed again. His hair was almost completely white and close-cropped. Rhyme adjusted her impressions of the performers. She had assumed that the sorcerer would be their leader, but the older man spoke with calm authority. The long-jawed villain had made no move to speak, keeping his attention on the weeping hero. I know this must be horrible for you, the mage said in her best imitation of concern. Horrible. Yes, my lady. Horrible and most strange. I only thank Providence that supplied us with a coffin for poor Darla. If we had performed the Rickett tragedy, we would only have had a pair of sawhorses and a prison facade. Toby's constant sobbing paused for a moment in shock. The handsome man looked up, his face a classical ravage. He then flung his arms across the coffin and wept with redoubled ferocity. Sand, the sorcerer sighed with quiet reproach. I apologize, Vincent. My glib tongue works overmuch, I fear, the white-haired man grimaced. Tell me, Master Sand, was Darla ill? I know that Lord Bellwether plans to investigate and ensure our safety, but is it possible that this was some unfortunate sickness that took her, Rhyme asked. Not likely, my lady. Darla was hearty, smiling, and fine when we took our places for the performance. I closed her in the coffin myself, and there was nothing amiss. Sand gestured towards the swinging hammocks. 
and as you see, we've been in close quarters. If it was a sickness, then the rest of us would surely show some sign of it. No, our Darla was taken from us. The crying hero seemed to absorb the older man's words, and his voice rose in pitch until he was nearly keening. Rhyme had to speak loudly to be heard over the din. Your friend seems very upset. Were they lovers? the mage asked. No, no. Vincent laid a fond hand on Toby's golden hair. He shares my bed, but he cared for Darla greatly. He's a sensitive sort, feels things deeply. It's what makes him such a fine actor. And a bit of a mess in situations like this, Sand said, with careful projection to be heard over the sobbing. Perhaps we should leave him for the moment then, Rhyme nearly shouted in frustration. Sand nodded his agreement and walked with them back and onto the darkened stage. Vincent and Toby remained in their tableau. The leading player paused briefly to undo a bit of twine that hung ragged on the broken cave front from earlier, clucking with concern. He bowed again, focusing on Naraya. My lady, could you do me a kindness? Could you speak to your uncle about perhaps a small cask of wine for our troop? We would drink to Darla's memory, but I also pray it will calm poor Toby's nerves. Of course, the blonde girl replied. Let me go fetch you one myself. I am so sorry that nothing else has been offered to you. I'm afraid we're all very caught up after the show. No need to apologize. Your uncle did offer us some kind words, and the father spoke a few more for Darla's soul. But the wine would be the kindest of all. We are actors, you see, and wine is our sacrament. Sand spread his hands. Will you be okay, Lady Rhyme? You have your escort, Job. As Naraya spoke, Rhyme could almost hear the squire deflating behind her. I will rejoin you in the parlor shortly. The Lord's daughter took the mage's smile for assent and turned to leave, threading her way past the sour dwarf who was carrying out folded piles of tablecloths. Jonas watched her go with an absurd level of attention. The mage rolled her eyes. Rhyme tapped the chalk on her board. Details. Specifics. I need more information. Such a tragic affair, the mage turned back to the white-haired player. Surely there must be some reason why this... Sand was staring at her directly, his arms crossed. You are a terrible actor. Excuse me, sir, I... I mean, you're fine for those fine lords and f ladies in the other room, but please have a little respect for my craft. Your eyes dip slightly when you deliver your lines. I've seen more convincing smiles painted on dolls. The actor laid a hand on his bosom and let the other float out with consummate grace. You should have chosen another role. The damsel is not for you. Jonas snickered, then covered it poorly by coughing into his sleeve. The chalk snapped in her mind's hand. Very well. Did you kill her? Rhyme retorted. No. Nor did Toby or Vincent. Sand let his hands drop. I don't know why you are concerned with our Darla's murder, but you are our best chance. That miserable dwarf made it quite clear that we were not to leave this room under any circumstance. I want to know who killed my girl. The white-haired actor's eyes blazed, and for the first time, Rhyme thought she was seeing a true light from him. So do I, Rhyme nodded. I will help you however I can, though your acting is going to perhaps take more time than we currently have at hand to improve. Sand gestured with sarcastic aplomb. Jonas started to chuckle again, but she ignored it. Then answer my questions. How long was she in the coffin? Did she have any encounters or conversations with the other guests? Did you notice anyone backstage before the performance? Why was she wearing a wig? How come there is only one woman in your troupe? What is Darla's background? Where does she come from? And can you get that lump away from the coffin long enough for me to inspect the corpse? 
Sans' eyes widened as the questions hammered. He looked over her shoulder and asked Jonas, Is she always like this? Only when she's in a very good mood, the squire replied. Rhyme pulled on her half-cloak in frustration. She opened her mouth to speak, but the actor held up a hand to forestall her. Please, let me tote the first pile before you stack more on my barrow. Let me get some wine in Vincent and Toby before you peek in the coffin. They're good lads, but the less explaining we need to do, the better. Any show that needs more than one woman, Vincent or I can easily don a dress and heels to fill the cast. She was wearing a wig because of Towerlock's speech in scene three. By secrets and songs and riddles untold, I care for naught but Key's bright hair of gold. Sand counted on his fingers as he answered. I saw when it slipped off that she is a wood elf. Pointed ears, delicate skeletal structure. What grove is she from? Rhyme demanded. No grove. Her family is from Quorum, that greasy stack of metal and smoke. All the Yad elves there swore off the land in exchange for a steady paycheck and fancy top hats. We winter there, get factory work, repair costumes, brush up our speeches, and wait for the first wind of spring to get back out on the road. Sand smiled at the memory. Yes, very nice. I'm almost through. Don't rush me. The actor paused to review her questions again. The only people that came backstage were Geranium and the Dwarf. The Bard hit it off with Vincent and Toby and wanted to wish them well before the performance. The Dwarf just dropped off our evening meal, just as he has before each of our shows. The show tonight is a short one. She only would have been in there half an hour. I closed her in myself, as I said. She was fine, smiling and laughing. The chalk danced in her mind. So if she was fine when she went into the coffin, somehow she was poisoned inside of it, unless it was a slow-acting poison. Did any of you eat the food that Funicello brought? We all did. Nothing amiss. Another note. Darla's column was filling quickly. She tapped the chalk on a missing spot. You left something out. Did she talk with the other guests? Any strange conversations? Sand laid a finger aside his nose and sighed. He walked a few steps away towards the edge of the stage and peered out across the dim chairs and table in the banquet hall. The dwarf was nowhere to be seen. Rhyme pursued with her arms crossed in impatience. I don't like to speak ill of my troop, but Darla always took the hammock on the end, he said with quiet reluctance. The hammock on the end? The mage looked at the backstage wall. She thought of the cramped space she had just seen, and it appeared in green chalk on the wall. The two hammocks at the back, the third spaced a bit further, then the three trunks of costume, then the final one swinging near the entrance. A chalk Darla slept in the final one, then swung down, her face careful and sly. She slipped out of the backstage while the others slept, chalk snores scratching. She was seeing someone in the manor, Rhyme said, not bothering to conceal the triumph in her voice. San nodded. Did she say who? Give any indication? The white-haired actor shook his head. Not a whisper. I only knew because I spied her slipping out last night. I know she didn't tell Vincent or Toby either. No secrets kept in a troop. A tryst. The mystery books in her head gaped open in excitement. Almost all of them had a sexual transgression of some sort. Secret assassinations, daggers in the lover's bower. If I find Darla's lover, then I've found her killer. The door banged open as Funicello re-entered. He glowered at the actor, but saved a helping of eye stone for Jonas and Rhyme. The mage didn't leap back into her full simple young lady act, but she did straighten her posture. I shall return later, when your players have drowned their sorrows. You've given me something to go on, but I will want to inspect the body. 
Rhyme bowed and swept away down the simple wooden stairs. She looked back to see Jonas pat sand on the shoulder in rough comfort. Do remind Lady Naraya about the wine, the actor called after her. It is darker than usual in our Twilight Kingdom. Wine and light, if you would be so kind. The squire's beet leather boots squawked on the burnished floor in his haste to follow Rhyme out of the banquet hall. The door to the parlor closed behind her. She had neglected her escort accessory. Maybe she won't bother as much with the act now that Sand shut her down so hard. Jonas found himself across a table from the ice river eyes of Funicello. The dwarf was pushing a white cloth across the long table, mechanically dunking it in a silver pail after each section of the wood was cleaned to his liking. Jonas felt his gaze like two gaping cannon mouths and tried to side-march out of the firing lane in as dignified a manner as possible. The wet slap of the dwarf's rag on the table startled him, and it turned into more of a crab scuttle. Funicello's eyes hung on Jonas. The squire felt himself getting heavier with each step. The dwarf's disdain was a bricklayer slathering hate mortar and disgust stones all over him. Lord Bellwether's manservant wasn't particularly imposing in appearance, thinning red hair and a well-kept mustache and goatee, but his eyes made the room groan with slow time. Crossing laterally around the table took a decade. Each chair Jonas passed was five months of hatred, a signpost. Slap the wet rag on the dark wood. The door to the parlor was only a few weeks away when a thought wiggled its way into the squire's brain. You worry about getting your sword back. Jonas sighed. He was going to have to talk to the glacier. Uh, Master Funicello, sir, the squire tugged on the bottom hem of his vest. The dwarf glowered in response and tore the wet rag in half. A quick, squelching rip and half of the rag was sailing through the air in his direction. Jonas caught it, soapy water scattering across his face. He lowered the dripping cloth and peeked over it. Funicello continued to swab the dark wood of the table, his eyes trained on Jonas. But now an air of expectation seemed to have entered the fray. Uncertainly, Jonas dabbed at a corner of the table closest to him. The dwarf's mustache twitched. The squire leaned into the task of scouring the table with the damp white cloth. The two white cloths moved across the table, the only sound in the room their husky slide. Jonas risked a quick glance at the dwarf, and saw that his gaze was finally averted. Funicello's thick fingers prodded a dried-up spot of food, excavating it from the wooden landscape. So I was wondering, if I could get my sword back? Jonas made sure to keep his rag moving while he spoke. Funicello exhaled sharply, flaring the pointed ends of his mustache. I am Rhymes, Lady Rhymes, Lady Corvanus's guardian. The squire's rag nearly flew across the table. And there's most likely some sort of killer in the manor. I won't do much good with my bare hands. The dwarf slapped his half rag down into the silver pail. He held the bucket before him and approached Jonas. Without a word, he looked down into the soapy water. I can promise you that I will use it only to defend my rhyme. I, I mean, my lady. Funicello raised the bucket slightly. Jonas sighed and dropped his cloth to join its other half. The Lord's manservant turned and stumped away, but he stopped at the door that led out into the grand lobby. His back stiffened for a moment, then he turned and locked eyes with Jonas. Then he turned right back around in a crisp about face. The dwarf wrapped his knuckles on the pail, 
four staccato beats, a pause, then two slow beats. Funicello walked out the door. Jonas stared at the blank door. Okay, what? 